So, Father, that is just what we want in this place right now. Reign over it. Don't want to be the one who reigns over it. Don't want the people that sit here to be the ones that reign over it. We want you to choose, pick, and decide what happens in this place, Father. And we gather just to follow you, worship you, because in you is life, and not just any life, but life abundant and eternal. And that's what we choose right now. That's what we choose. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. While you're doing that, if you want to get a pen or a pencil out, or if you want to open up the online notes through the app so that you can follow along and um, fill in the blanks, that's great. While you're doing that, I've got one quick announcement that they asked me to uh, caress a little bit and give the, <laughs> give the senior pastor um, endorsement. Uh, our youth retreat, junior high and senior high, is next week in the first and the third, the first through the third. And um, you would register online, jfc.org slash events. But that's sort of like, um, there's the basics of the information. Why should someone go? Why, why would you want a teen to go? And I, I say this, you know, when I'm asked the question, just as a, as a reminder, some people never quite put it together, and some people, I think, forget. And some, when it comes down to, like, you know, you're trying to figure out your budget, and we've got all these different things coming up, and, you know, I mean, Pastor, where does it fit? I, I just try to say this every time. I know two things about, I would say, 99.9% of the people in this room. Now, there's going to be one-tenth of one percent that'll be outside of it, so you're not who I'm talking to right this second. But the vast majority of the people in this room, here's the common denominator that brings us all together this weekend. You love Jesus, and you want to see Jesus be the king of your lives. Yes or no? That's why you're here. Okay. So I bet if you have children that it is your desire that your children know the Jesus that you love and that you worship. And I bet that there are times when you're trying to figure out how do I pass this on and is it being passed on and do they get it? And I know when I was raising mine, even as a pastor, I would look at them sometimes and wonder, do they understand any words that are coming out of my mouth right now? And what things, looking back, can I tell you that I know transmitted faith to them. All right, I tell you this. When it's genuine in you, you transmit faith to your children. Now, that does not mean that if it's genuine in you, it's automatically going to be the way that they choose. Because the Bible says this, a parent's job is to train up a child in the way they should go, but it doesn't mean that the kid's going to go that way. And the real idea is this. Give them the right foundation so that if they want to build a house, they can build a house on it. Not every child chooses to do that. But let's say that you're raising children and they're building that house and you want to make sure that that house they're building is not on sand but it's on rock and it's going to last. Listen to me. I can tell you from doing this for a very long period of time, there are a lot of things that we do that have value. And hopefully all that we're doing here, we have, we have estimated, judged correctly, that it has value to it. But some things have a higher value, and especially for teens, and I can tell you right now, camps and mission trips are the two things. I know that I know that I know if you make the investment, it brings back a return that you're going to look at someday and go, that was pure gold. 
asks, Pastor, how do you know that? I know it was true for me. I know it was true for my children. I see it now in my grandchildren's life. I see it in so many young people that, that I'm still in relationship with that, that are adults now raising their own children who I can look back and remember. Some even in this church from when I was a youth pastor in Fort Collins, Loveland, that followed me down here to be a part of our church. That's how deep those roots go. And I see where they're at spiritually and where their children are. And I can tell you the difference was they were not on the outskirts, sort of interested, but their hands were in many different pies. Jesus was a primary focus of their lives. Parents, grandparents, listen, I'm not selling you anything. We don't make profit off of this. This is not how we meet our budget. No one's bonus comes from this. And Deb Marcus... Larry and Nancy in the counseling department will not get raises because I did a good job selling our camp right now. Uh, they don't get raises anyway. This is, this, no, I, that's not true, is it? That's not true. All right. <laughs> this is literally, it's our way of doing something that we know when you get a kid away from a cell phone, away from a video game, away from all the distractions of sports and friends and, and even parents. Right? And you get them in that atmosphere where it is other people their age pursuing Jesus and it's set up for that. I promise you, here's the thing that people remember. When, you're, when you have a touch by God, that's the thing that you remember your whole life. And when it's just sort of like a religious thing that you were around, you remember that too, but not in a good way, right? And so what I'm trying to impress you with is that, look, next week is an opportunity Yes, it's an investment going to a camp. It's room and it's board and it's transportation. It's all of those things. But man, is it worth it. And I try, I know this is dramatic, folks. I, I know it's dramatic and I'm going way over my time on advertising this. But I always try to, to, to tell a story, zooming us forward into the future. Someday we will all stand before the Lord. And on that day, I don't know everything that it's going to look like, but there, there are old um, spirituals that were sung, will the circle be unbroken? And I, I ask this question to our folks from time to time because I think we need to think about this. What would you give to make sure that your circle is unbroken on that day? What would you trade then? I bet there's not one dime you wouldn't spend. I bet there's not one prayer you wouldn't pray. And I bet there's not any sacrifice you wouldn't give to make sure that your circle was complete. Do you agree with that statement? And I know that it's not completely within your power. People make choices. I get all of that. But these are things that we can do that help increase the likelihood of an experience with God. And that's what you're looking for. So I'm going to say no more. JFC.org slash events. If uh, you're in a financial need and you'd like them to go, let us know. And we will do what we can if you're here and you're able to help with something like that, maybe your kids, maybe you don't have any kids or maybe your kids are past it and you want to see a kid go to camp, let us know. We'll make sure we get it uh, put in the right way. And then the only other thing I have is this. Um, I'm feeling quite cool up here, which means you probably are freezing right now. Is that, is it true? Are you good? Is everybody good? You know, my, here's what my daughter Amy said the other day when she was speaking at the ladies' event. I, I watched it online. I didn't see it. She says... Uh, Daddy's not here, so we're turning off the air. 
So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know if, I just want to make sure you're uncomfortable before I get, or that you're comfortable before I get. <laughs> Freudian slip. Dee, 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 dee. Uh, it's, are you okay? You're good to go. Okay. All right. Um, so grab your notes. We'll jump into this real quick. Uh, our series is called Christians Might Be Crazy. And just real quickly to update us, why are we calling it that? It's not to make fun of believers. I am one. That's not the idea right there. It's just the simple acknowledgement that um, we have a paradoxical, upside down, different from the culture kingdom. And I've pointed it out this way each week. Jesus said, if you want to be first, be last. The greatest needs to be least. He over and over and over teaches again that the way his kingdom works, works almost the direct opposite of the way that the culture and the world at large works. And because of that, that means that our values are different. It means that the way that we spend money, the way that we spend time, the way that we see eternity, the way that we value people is completely different than how the world does those things. And because of that, the world can look at us and go, why in the world would you spend your money that way? Why would you spend your time going to church? Why would you value things in this particular way? And so it would be easy for people in the world to look at us and go, Christians are crazy. I get it. It's just, it's an admission that we operate different than the culture around us. And in fact, the danger would be this, that if the world at large looks at us and says, I see no great difference between them and me other than for an hour and 15 or 20 minutes, they go to church once a week. Yes or no, something's very mixed up if that's the biggest difference that they see. That's, that's, we are trying to do the opposite of that thing. So Rebecca Murley taught very skillfully on we might be crazy because we see the value and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in the last couple of weeks, I taught about the idea that in church, one of the reasons that people say, I will never go to church, I'll never darken the door, I'll never become part of a fellowship, is they'll, they'll use that cliche that the church is full of hypocrites. And I just tried to teach that uh, being a hypocrite is not a Christian problem, it is a human problem. And that we all at different times say something and then have a different action behind it. But the real issue is that we're not trying to lift up a building or a denomination or a pastor or a meeting. We're trying to lift up our Jesus. The only perfect one is Jesus. That's what we're trying to show off. And then last week I talked about we might be crazy because we're willing to lay our lives down for the cause of Christ, which is to be a martyr. And to be honest, I'm so glad to see you back here this week. I didn't know what the outcome of that message would be. But actually, what a, what a great response. And thank you so kindly uh, for, for what you said. This weekend, where are we going? Christians might be crazy, listen, because we're willing to forgive people. We're willing to forgive people. And that is, a, that is, is in my mind... When you want to see the fingerprints of God in a person's life, if you ever fight that temptation when the devil comes and he says to you, you're not really a Christian because if you were a Christian, you wouldn't think that way. You wouldn't have said those things. You wouldn't act that way. Can I just tell you, instead of sitting there and getting caught in that, think of the things you do that you wouldn't do unless God were in you. And one of them is when you're willing to say, I was wrong and I need to be forgiven, or when you can give someone forgiveness who even doesn't ask for it, that's the fingerprints of God in your life. 
So that answering that question of like, you know, am, am I even going to make it to heaven? Listen, the very fact that you have anything in you that you can see Jesus being reproduced is the proof that you're born again and that God lives inside of you. So I'm going to use uh, for my big text tonight, Matthew chapter 5, which is Jesus teaching a lot about the Christian life, how Christians live. In fact, Matthew 5, the entire part of Matthew 5 is Jesus showing that you've heard it said that here's how it's supposed to be, but I tell you, here's the way it's supposed to be, and they're diametrically opposed to each other. So like in one of the things he said, you've heard it say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, love those who hate you and pray for those who use you. Yes or no, that's diametrically opposed to each other. And I heard someone say one time that if we all go around taking an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, pretty soon everybody's going to be blind and toothless if we don't knock it off. Yes or no? I mean, we can't live. That's not the way to live our lives. So ultimately, this whole idea of being able to forgive people, and I, I want to take you with what does it mean to forgive? And, and what does it look like when the world says uh, to forgive? What do they say? And then, and then Jesus, when he says to forgive, what does he say? Are they one and the same or are they two different things? And then how do you actually do that? And is forgiveness an emotion where you're just like, Oh, I, I feel like forgiving you. Or if you wait till you feel like forgiving someone, would you ever forgive anybody? I, I'm not sure that it... So this is where I want to go with this message. And uh, there's only just a few fill in the blanks. Let me, let me just jump in right here. Uh, I, would, I would contrast right off the bat when it comes to the idea of what forgiveness is. Here's, here's usually what you hear the world say. When you read about forgiveness or books on forgiveness, people that don't know Jesus, when they talk about forgiveness, you'll find out one of two extremes when they talk about forgiveness. Here's the first one. Don't forgive. Hold on to the grudge. Uh, we, we live in a world that's too sloppy. People don't pay the price. Why should we forgive? And, and they don't get the idea that forgiveness is not always about the other person as much as it is about you. And so when you get in that mindset of, why, why should I forgive you? You're already starting backwards when it comes to forgiveness. You might want to forgive because you get something out of it. So, so there's that idea right there. So the world will say, first of all, maybe you shouldn't forgive. Because if you do, you'll just get stepped on. And then if they are, uh, what's the word? If they are generous enough to say, okay, you can forgive, they'll say something like this. Have you ever heard this? Uh, I'll forgive, but I won't. You've heard it. I was hoping that one got out there. I'll forgive, but I won't forget. So is that biblical? And can you do that? And be honest right now. Because is forgiveness as simple as like, if I forgive, I forget about it. Can you ever forget about it? I'm just asking you right now. And maybe it's rhetorical. Maybe you don't have to answer I know this, I grew up with that stupid nursery rhyme, you probably did, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never, that's a lie, yes or no. God, some of the things that were said to me still stick in my mind far more than the fights that I got in with other people. A fight will come and go, but words, words can hurt worse than a fist and can scar worse than something that happens to you. Labels that come with words. Words are powerful. And although the crux of the message tonight 
is not entirely about the power of words. The Bible is very clear when it says in Old and New Testament that the power of life and death is found in the tongue. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 12, 33. If you don't like the fruit that you're getting from the tree, you need to change it by what you say to it. If you don't believe that's true, go back and read Matthew 12, 33. The entire context is the words that we're speaking, especially careless words that we'll give an answer to God for. And right in the middle of Jesus saying, uh, a good man out of the good things in his heart says good things, and an evil man out of the evil things in his heart says evil things. And then he's talking about all the different words that are spoken. And then he says this crazy little, like if, you, if, if, if the fruit you're getting from a tree is not the fruit that you want, you need to change so that you get different fruit from the tree. And how do you do that? The whole context is in what you're saying because there is life and there is death in what you're saying. And that's not the nature or the crux of the message, but it is an important part to it. So the world would say never forgive, or if they are generous, they will say forgive, but never forget. Jesus would say, listen to these words, listen. Jesus would say, forgive because you've been forgiven. He doesn't say forgive because I tell you to. He doesn't say forgive because it's in your best interest to forgive. Because even though it is in your best interest, that's not always enough to get a person to do it, Dan. People don't do what's always best for them. If they did, we'd all weigh about 125 pounds in this room. Thank you for that big amen right there. Kind of like, who do you think you're talking to, pastor? I'm the guy that weighs 185 pounds, so I know exactly what I'm talking about. We don't do what's best for us all the time. We do what's easiest or what seems right to us. You know that the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a person, but the ends thereof are the ways of death? There's a way that can seem right to you. Light not forgiving can seem right to you. Holding on to a grudge can seem very right to you. Not letting go of an offense so that it doesn't happen to you twice can seem very right to you. And that's why the Bible says there's a way that seems right. And when it says seems right, that means it's not like, well, maybe that's right. It will look to you like this is the right way. A little further in my notes, and I'll come back to it real quick. But when Eve ate of the fruit, it lists three things about the fruit that were remarkable. Listen to this. The fruit was good pleasing and desirable. Good, pleasing, and desirable. The problem was good, pleasing, and desirable killed her. So there's a way that seems right to a person and you will swear this is right. And without the help of the Holy Spirit, you'll eat poison. Make any sense? You'll hold on to this thing thinking this was the right move to make. And I can't, the problem is that kind of spiritual poison doesn't show up in five hours, 24 hours, 36 hours, one week later. Here's what happens. You ingest it. It begins to take root in your life. Six months will go by. One year will go by. Five years will go by. And you'll find yourself spiritually paralyzed, spiritually wounded, spiritually dead. And then you'll ask this question. What did I do yesterday that caused this? Yesterday, you'll spend all, you'll be sifting through all of this stuff. Look, I can't find it because it happened five years ago. Yeah. 
And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to root that thing out of your life at that point. And that's why you want to let go of it now while you can. So what's that book that that guy wrote? If you're going through hell, don't stop. Just keep going. Or if you catch hell, let it go. Either way, I'll go with it. But if you get into that place where it's hellish and you decide I'm going to build a house here or I'm going to hold on to this thing, I like it and it seems right to hold on to this thing, you're, you're inviting the enemy to set up his camp in your life. And you would advise somebody else not to do it, but we don't always take our own advice. All right. I keep knocking my communion things all over the place here. I'm going to set them over here. There we go. So the world would say, never forgive, or if they're generous, forgive, but never forget. Jesus would say, forgive because you've been forgiven. That's important because he wants us to connect our ability to forgive someone with the fact that we've been forgiven. So listen to this real quick. If you have trouble forgiving someone, it may be that you're having trouble feeling God's forgiveness in your life. I knew I would not get a big amen on that one right there. I'm going to say it one more time. If you're having trouble letting go of an offense, my guess is you know in your head that you've been forgiven. Okay, it's a fact. But you're probably having trouble experiencing in your heart his mercy. Because in my line of work, what I do and when I counsel people, here's what I found to be true. The proportion that you're willing to give grace is probably to the proportion that you're experiencing grace currently in your life. That doesn't mean you've never experienced grace. It does not mean that you don't believe in grace. It does not mean that you have not been forgiven. It doesn't mean that when you die, you're not going to heaven. Here's what I said. Your ability to give grace is directly related to how you're experiencing grace currently. You know it up here, but you're not experiencing it right here. I mean, look, this, this is my 22nd year of being in this pulpit. I'll say it one more time. The distance from here to here, yes or no, Sandra, is way more than 18 inches. Do you know how long it takes some people to get it from their brain to their heart? Sometimes this is 20 years. And sometimes it can go from here to here, but your heart, you leave it unguarded, and it can get cold, and it'll leave your heart and end up back in your head again. And the gospel was never meant to become something that you were just smart about. It was meant to change your heart, because if it has your brain and your heart, that's powerful. If it has only your brain, you're a believer who can be very cold, very stern, and you can quote the law. If it has only your heart, you're excited. You're joyful, but you're not able to work it out with other people and talk about why they should. You're just like, you just should. (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? You just should because I said so. And then if someone argues with you, you're just, shut up. There's a great argument. Shut up. All right, so one, 
Let me talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation so that you understand. Because a lot of people automatically assume if I forgive, that means that I'm condoning the behavior. Write it down real quick so you can hear what I'm saying. This is important. Forgive versus reconciliation. Forgive versus reconcile. Reconciliation. Our, our, the text there will be 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 19, and I'll read it in a minute, but let me talk here. So, the problem that some people, or um, the problem, problem is not the right word. The exception that some people have with the idea of forgiving someone is this. If I forgive them, then I am condoning what they did. I am somehow saying that what they did is not worthy of me, you know, I'm angry about that. I didn't say you couldn't be angry. And, and honestly, I'm not saying that you're not justified in your anger. But the bottom line, it's got to come back down to this no matter what. It's going to come back down to this. Jesus would still say to you, the reason to forgive is not because you're justified or not justified. Forgive because I've forgiven you. That's what you have. The argument has to go to that direction. He doesn't even say forgive if someone asks you to forgive them. That's not the context for forgiving. Now, Peter, hey, how many times do I need to forgive someone? Seven times seven? Because that's generous. Jesus, 70 times seven, but it's a colloquial statement of whatever it takes, that's what you do. Why? Because how many times has God forgiven you? Not 490 times. God is willing to forgive you as many times as it takes, yes or no. So the context for forgiveness is not what you have done or what someone else has done. It's what God's done for you. That's always the context. Now, you know who, the person that hates me saying that right now is the one who knows it in the head but can't get it in the heart. That's an aggravation to them because they're like, you don't get it. Yeah. And pastor, if, if what had happened to me had happened to you, you wouldn't get up there and say it so easy. So I'm, listen, that's not, get my, my heart's not up here to, I'm not trying to sift through your stuff, but my goodness, I can't even imagine what many of you have gone through. And the fact, you know what gives me a job is that many of you have gone through stuff. <laughs> Like, if I cure all your stuff tonight, you may not need me anymore. <laughs> do you know I'd do it, though? I'd do it in a second. So the context is always forgive because you've been forgiven, and I'll show you in a second. So when we deal with the issue of forgiveness, what some people have an objection to is just simply, if I forgive them, I'm condoning it. If I forgive them, they don't understand how it hurt me. If I forgive them, they're going to do it again. If I forgive them, you don't get it, John. We're not dealing with someone like Chris. We're dealing with the person I married. But you don't consider the person that Chris married. He can be difficult. Forgive versus reconciliation. So the Bible actually deals with both issues, and they are two different issues, and uh, they are two sides to a coin. So that forgiveness is not reconciliation. 
let me, let me give you a couple of things to, to help you understand this. Uh, forgiveness is a one-party issue. Yeah. It's the best way to understand this. So that you can offend me, Larry. Dan, you can do something that hurts my feelings. Jonathan, Rebecca, you could say something about me. You could do intentionally or unintentionally. You could know you did it or you could have done it just out of simple ignorance and you, you never even knew. Either way, it could offend me. Let's just ask you real quickly. Is it possible for someone to offend you and not know that they offended you? <laughs> if you don't believe that, get married and watch what, yeah. Of course. And if you're like, well, I'm married and they do it on purpose. I know that. Both of them are possible. Do you know that Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come? Jesus said that it's impossible. If you live in this life with people, it's impossible for offenses not to come. But what you do with the offense is up to you. Thank you for that powerful. Oh, I get it. All right. So forgiveness is one party, meaning this. That whether or not you did it to me and you knew it or you did it to me and you didn't know it, I do not have to wait until you say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I'll never do it again. Or if you're just mean and you're just like, that aggravates you, I finally found the thing. Watch me turn the heat up now. <laughs> right? Either way, it's not required on what you do for me to forgive you, yes or no? Yeah. Forgiveness is one party. Ah, ah, ah. And this is the objection. But if I forgive them, they'll keep doing it. Or if I give them, they don't understand how it hurt me. Or if I forgive them, it, it's, it, it allows them to get away with it. It's not at all. Forgiveness, here's the best way to understand it. I wrote it this way. See if, see if this makes any sense to you. See if this helps you to, to, to kind of pick it up and, 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 um, uh, and, and live with it. Forgiveness allows you to live reconciliation allows you to live together. That's my quote from the book that I'm going to write eventually. I'm saving up all of these things for one big book. Forgiveness is single party. You never have to ask me in order for me to do it. In fact, you don't even have to know I forgave you. Ruth Graham married to Billy Graham for I think it was 65 years. Ruth Graham had this incredible saying about marriage. She said a good marriage is made up of two good forgivers. Two people who know how to forgive each other. And this is what it says in Psalms and in Proverbs. That real love covers over a multitude of sin. So that most of the forgiving you do doesn't even have to be brought up to somebody else. If you have to tell somebody about everything they've done to hurt you constantly, I bet you're difficult to live with. Not everything has to even be brought. Some things you can just go, I just, not even worth it. I let it go. I just let it go. So, now, what are those things? Maybe it's the toothpaste. Maybe it's the toilet lid. Maybe it's who... Did anybody not put the toilet roll back on the little thing? What is that little thing called that you put the toilet roll? Can you say that in church? You're, you guys are like, toilet? Oh, my gosh. What is he? This is a cult. We've got to get out of here, Myrtle. That, come on. What's that little thing called that you put the, the, with the spring in it? 
holder. You know what? That's, that's like saying the clicker for the tele. No one knows what the clicker. Where's the clicker? Where's the thing for the toilet? What is it called? A spindle? Is that really the name of it? Sp- You're making it up. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Spindle. Spindle. We have an argument in hours of put the toilet paper on the spindle or just lay it on the top of it. Now, everybody knows that you put it on the spindle. Everybody. We'll be married 36 years this December, just, just a couple of months, and we still are holding on to that thing. I'm still holding on to that thing right, right there. I do need to forgive. But if I forgive her, she won't stop doing it. You see? So forgive. Listen, I'm having a little fun. Forgive is just one party. Forgive is, forgive is that some people intentionally do things to harm you. They're toxic. They're ugly. They don't care. They want to hurt you. And if you have to wait until that person becomes sorry in order to forgive them, guess who gets hurt in that deal? You're in prison. You're locked away. Dude, you, you'll never breathe again. Now you're at the whim and mercy of every person you meet, and you just hope that they're going to be nice because you can't forgive until they say to you what I did was wrong. I'll never do it again. Forget it. So forgiveness is one party. No matter what anybody else does, I can forgive. But reconciliation... Reconciliation is when two people agree to be in relationship together. And what gets broken in reconciliation, offense can break reconciliation. Now, on minor things, look, minor things should not break reconciliation. But let's assume that there are more than minor things that happen between people. Let's assume that there's betrayal and lying. Let's assume that there's theft. Let's assume that things actually happen that break relationship between people. Okay, I can forgive you. That does not mean we're reconciled. Forgiveness is one party. Look at me. Reconciliation is two party. Because unless she forgives me, but unless I say what I did was wrong and I need you to forgive me and I repent of it, which means I need to change what I'm doing, not have you accept what I'm doing. That's repentance. Now, there can be reconciliation between two people. Does that make sense? So forgiveness is one party. Forgiveness does not change another person's behavior, but it lets me live. But reconciliation lets us live together. That makes sense? So if you don't think that that's biblical, listen to this. I'll explain it to you the most. Jesus, I want you just to think about this real quick. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth, and the book of Hebrews says that he was our high priest 
who once and for all died for all people's sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it says this, and it's the perfect sacrifice so that he never has to come back and die again. So do you agree with this statement? Listen to what I'm about to say. Has Jesus died for every sin ever committed, being committed, and will be committed tomorrow? Yes or no? Do you agree with that? Then why doesn't everybody go to heaven? Because not everybody is reconciled to God. Jesus has forgiven, but not everyone is reconciled. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is Paul writing to a church explaining this idea. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Look at this part right here. All of this is a gift from God, not from man, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of, what's that word? Of reconciling people to him. Look, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them because of what Jesus did. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So here's what that's saying right here. God has forgiven all sin, but our job is to let people know that they can be reconciled to God. And if that's not our job, then why does it say it's our job? And if Jesus has forgiven everyone and everyone's going to heaven, then why do we have a job to tell people they can be reconciled to God? Does that make sense to you? So that God has forgiven one party, but reconciliation is two-party. Does it make any sense? So that when we forgive, the reason that people might think we're crazy and we say, hey, there was that uh, three weeks ago, that, that uh, female officer in Dallas who went into the wrong apartment you know the, the, the story? And it was, I think it was the apartment right above or right below her apartment. She was a female officer. And she, so she thought someone had broken into, and it was an African-American man. She thought someone had broken into her apartment. And before she could find out what was going on, she shot him and killed him. And they convicted her of that. Listen. Listen to me. So that at the sentencing, the brother of the man who was shot to death read a statement to the officer and said, I forgive you. And I love you. And if I could keep you from going to jail right now, I would do it. Because I'm not sure that it's going to do anything to help you live a redeemed life. And then ask for permission to hug the person because she was a, he was a believer and hugged the female officer and said, I forgive you and Jesus forgives you. And the world looks at that and you know what they say? That's crazy. It's crazy. And the only way that it even has a definition is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's crazy. It's too good to be true. And it's crazy. And it's the kind of crazy I'll take all day long. It's the kind of crazy that changed me so that I can forgive someone because my context of forgiving them is not how bad the evil was that was done to me. 
Did you just hear what I said? My context for forgiving someone is not how bad the evil was that was done to me. Like, this is too bad for me to forgive. The context of my forgiving someone, Mike, the context is how, how much God has forgiven me. And so that the average person who does not understand what has happened for them in Christ Jesus is either just simply ignorant and unaware of their own sin before God and their own need before God or is lost touch in their heart with what God has done for them so that in your head you know you're forgiven but you don't think it was that big of a deal anyway and it was huge how big was it? it cost Jesus his life So reconciliation is, there are two different issues, but they do go hand in hand with each other. Um, I would like to take more time and teach on that, but so, you know, here's always the thing when I'm teaching this that I hear in my head that the enemy's working on me. So John, you know that there are people out there who have had horrible things happen to them. There are people out here who have been molested, and there are people out here who have been raped, and there are people out here who have dealt with murder, and there are people out here who have dealt with all sorts of sex trafficking and things beyond the pale. How can you even say this? I, please, for one moment, I am not comparing my situation, my life. I am not judging you. I am not in a position to judge you. That is, please know my heart. All I am saying to you is this, that the context for our forgiveness is not the evil done to us by someone in the world. The context for our forgiveness is this, forgive because you've been forgiven. And that the way to your healing is through forgiveness. So let me hit the second one here real quick and I'll move on. Let me talk about forgiveness and revenge real quickly. Forgiveness and revenge. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. The Apostle Paul again has these really powerful words. Dear friends, he's talking to a church. Never take, what's the word? So he leaves very little room here. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. By the way, by the way, listen to this real quick. The reason Paul chooses the word righteous anger is he wants people to understand that God is not up in the sky twiddling his thumbs like, like some super soft marshmallow who can't get tough. Let me say something to you real quickly. The Bible clearly tells us that there are two judgments, the judgment of the righteous and the judgment of the unrighteous. And we're all going to be judged, but you want to be in the camp of the righteous. Because the righteous get judged according to being reconciled by the work of Jesus. And the unrighteous will stand there of their own accord trying to answer for their own sin. And God will not wink. Look at me right now. God will not wink at your sin. God will not laugh at it. He will not slap you on the back. He will not go, ah, you're just a human. Or, ah, you just would have been different if you'd have had a better upbringing. That is not the justice of God. And while I'm a mercy preacher, and I believe in the mercy of God through the work of Jesus, I'm telling you the truth right now. Not one person should stand before God of your own righteousness. Stand before him because your righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Do not stand before God telling him, I was justified because what happened to me. And I'm sorry, and you can think I'm a whatever right now. But it is with love and with great grace and with great mercy. And you know what? I'm just going to say this to you real quickly. I know you might say, if you knew my story. Can I say this to you? If you knew mine. 
if you knew my hurt and if you knew my rejection and if you knew the abuse that I took and while I don't believe it glorifies God to stand up here and talk about that kind of abuse I'm just telling you I'm here by the grace of God man Forgiveness is a real, powerful issue. Revenge is what the flesh, I want, I want to get equal. I want them to pay. Yeah. Oh, where do I want to go with this message? You know, I'm out of time. I'm five minutes over my time, if you can believe it. Uh... I'm going to go to to Matthew uh, 18, gents, ladies. Get me to Matthew 18 real quick. Uh, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, more than he could ever pay. So his master ordered that he be sold Look at how brutal this is. Along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity, compassion, or mercy for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. He didn't just say, okay, pay me back when you can, which is being released. He forgave him, which is to wipe the slate clean, and that's powerful, okay? When the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, not millions, but thousands. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay it all, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were outraged, upset, angry. They went to the king and they told him everything that had just happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king, we always leave this part out. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. We always leave that out because that is hard to hear, yes or no. But it is real, and here's why it's real, and this is why it becomes important. You're not left here to be fearful of the king. What it's supposed to remind you of is this. The context for forgiving people is because we've been forgiven. That's what it's saying to you. It's not saying, hey, there's a debt that needs to be paid, and you need to make sure you find out how to get it paid. It reminds you the debt that you owed was far more than you could ever pay. And the reason that people are out of touch, they know that God's forgiven them here, but they never got it in their heart of how much he's forgiven you, how much he loves you. And if you could ever get that close in your heart, look, I'm going to say it one more time. 
The proof that you understand grace and mercy is that you can give grace and mercy. You have a context. You've experienced it. Now you can give it. Once you experience it, you can give it. And the only thing that changes, Kim, the only thing that changes is if we get far away from God, our hearts can get cold so that it's stuck in our brain. I've been forgiven, but we're not experiencing mercy. You've still been forgiven, George. You've still been forgiven, but you're not experiencing it in your heart. So now you turn into a hard-hearted person, and the way you treat people is you are very reluctant to forgive them. And so what needs to happen? Look at me. Here's the crux of my message. The best part about the message is this. God waits to touch your heart again. He's not mad at you or indifferent towards you or angry at you or thinking, why don't you get it? He waits for you to hear this message and to realize the one who forgave everything still stands with arms wide open. The sacrifice is as powerful as it's ever been. His love is greater than you've ever known. And he waits to get a hold of your heart to soften it again because we're most like our father when we act like our father. Do you hear what I'm saying? And when we know what he's done for us and we're in this, when we're in this communication and we're connected this way, it makes it so easy to live life this way. And when we're disconnected this way, how difficult is it to forgive people and love people and talk to people and want to be around people? Do you hear me? So here's, I've just finished with this right here. What if I'm having trouble forgiving people, Pastor? What if I just can't let it go? What if it keeps coming back? What, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Okay, here it is. Listen to me. First of all, forgiveness is a process. Very seldom does forgiveness ever happen in one moment. I've just found you can forgive somebody, but the devil's always bringing it back to you time after time after time after time. Anybody else like that? Like you forgive, but the next morning you remember it again. And then you forgive, but then that afternoon something reminds you of it. The person who cut you off was in a blue car, and then all of a sudden you'll see a thousand blue cars all day long. Is that the one? That's, no, no, it's, no. It's that, well, you're driving like them, so I hate you too. So we, okay, so it's a process. Listen, this is important. It's not an emotion, it's a decision. When I forgive you, it's not because I feel like forgiving you. I make a decision. God chose to forgive me. And I choose to forgive you. And so sometimes... The worse the offense is, the more out loud I have to say, I forgive you. If you heard the conversations I have with myself all day long, you would think we got to lock that pastor up. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm praying in tongues out loud, and sometimes I'm just asking God have mercy on me, and sometimes I'm just like, God, I got the hardest heart of any person you ever. How can I even be a pastor thinking the way that I think? I know n the only other people who are agreeing with me right now are pastors. The rest of you are like, oh, we're holy. We, we don't get that. How do you know you've actually forgiven someone? I'll give you two things. You want to know you've actually forgiven them? When you begin to want good for them, you're on the road to forgiveness. And then, and then how do you know it's actually taken place? Listen to this. Listen to this. You can actually forget what happened to you. I know you say that cannot happen. Oh, I'm living proof that it can happen. Wow. Sometimes I can't tell my story. 
because there are people living that when I tell my story, it affects them. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying right now. So I have to be very careful with my story. Can't, I won't tell you a personal one of a physical thing, but I'll, I'll tell you one real quick. Um, these were the two, and this one I, I feel like I'm safe telling. Um, when Chris and I wanted to get into ministry, some of you know the story. Pastor Terry was my youth pastor. He was my youth pastor. And I had felt called into ministry when I was 15. And um, I went to see the pastor of the church that we were attending. I... I I opened my Bible to Luke chapter 4, and this is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointing me to preach the good news, to set at liberty the captive, to open blinded eyes, to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the wounded, and to set the captive free. And I read that, and I know I was 15, and I know that I know that I know Dan, just like I'm telling you right now. I know that Jesus said in my ear, that's you, John. He said that to me. And it changed everything. I felt like a somebody. And so I made an appointment with my mom to go see the pastor, my uncle, to go see the pastor. And I poured out my heart to the pastor. And this is what the pastor said to me. Son, God doesn't speak to people that way. And it crushed me. Crushed me. And my life at that point would have gone straight towards God. But that afternoon when I walked out of his office, it went the opposite direction. And I became hard and rebellious. I ended up running away from home. I got into drugs at that time in my life. One conversation. How powerful is one conversation? Years later, let me talk to you about the faithfulness of God. Even when you have lost your way. Uh-uh. When you forget who you are. And you don't know the way home. You have a God who knows who you are. And he remembers your name. And he knows how to get you back home. And that God would visit me in the nighttime. And I could be so high, and he would remind me, this isn't who you are. And I would be high, but I would be sober enough in my mind to know that God was talking to me. And I'd get up, and I'd run the next day. I'd run. And it was like he would put his hand in front of me, so I'd run really fast, and I'd smash into his hand. And I was young enough where I'd just pick myself up and run the other direction. So he'd put his hand here and he'd stop me. And ultimately what he was doing was getting narrower and narrower to get me in the where he... I'm running exactly where he wanted me to go. I just didn't know it. Uh. And then I meet this young woman who just loves me and starts to tell me who I am. And I'd love to tell you, oh, you know, the worst thing is that when you are hurting, you hurt people. And so I would hurt her. 
And I would hurt people around me who loved me so much. Because I was trying to tell them, I'm not worth anything. Don't waste your time with me, man. I'm messed up. Can't you see how messed up I am? And I remember going to Terry and telling him, Terry, I think God called me into ministry. And it was the last chance. It was the last time I was ever going to tell anybody. And Terry goes, I can see you being a pastor. (laughs) You could? I owe Terry Elder so much. (laughs) It's a longer story, but when we decided to pursue ministry, we were going to go from here to Baton Rouge because I'm from Louisiana and we were going to go back to Jimmy Swaggart Bible College and this is before the infamous fall. And I went to work for a guy here. I quit my job and I went to work for a guy that had a gutter company because no one wants to hire you if you're only going to be around for about six months. And so I just told this guy, listen, I'm getting ready to go to Bible college and I just need a job and I just need to make as much money as possible so I can move my family to Baton Rouge and um, I've got to figure out how to do tuition and I've got to figure out this whole thing and so I just need to make as much money as possible. And so this, this is what this guy told me. He said, hey, and he was in the church. You go to work for me. And he said, I can't pay you, but at the end of it, he said, I'll give you a great big bonus that will take care of everything. So I worked all summer long, and that was my plan. That's what we were going to do. And we get to the end of the summer, and the guy goes, hey, I'm sorry, but I don't have the money to pay you. And it was like one more knife in everything that could possibly go wrong, right? But at that point, this full surrender to Jesus had happened in me. And I remember looking at the guy, and I'm like, it's all good, man. I'm leaving anyway. And I know what I was going to do. I went home that night. I told Chris, and we cried in the basement. We were living in a basement. You know, when you think, God, that pastor's sort of undignified, it's because I don't come from anything. I don't come from anything. I'm sorry. I don't have a background. I don't have a pedigree. It's only by the grace of God that I stand up here right now. You've you got to understand that. I'm nobody. And so I went down to the basement, and we got two, Amy and Brent, and God, we just wept. Oh, we wept. And her father heard us weeping and came downstairs and said, what is it? And I said, Dad, you won't believe it. And I told him. He was so mad at that guy, I thought he was going to go find the guy. (laughs) He went to the bank, and he got us what? he had and he said that guy may not he said but I'll take his reward and handed us the cash to go to Bible college and I could have hated that guy and I could have held my life could have there were so many times that hate could have taken me and I see I saw what hate did for me for so many years 
And I know what I'm talking about, right? I know what choosing love and choosing mercy and choosing to forgive people does. I know what it does for me. Look at me. I'm not, I have no pedigree. I can't tell you about all, all the, the, the lineage of preachers that I come from. I come from rednecks. That's it. And I'm here right now only because God himself reached down and grabbed a 15-year-old kid. And I'm still challenged constantly to forgive this and let go of that and stop that and love, love, love. Because I know what love does. I know what it does. And so I appeal to you right now, not just by teaching to your brain, but by going for the jugular of your heart. If I can combine these two things together right now, you can be free when you walk out of this place. And that weight that you've carried and that offense that's hurt you and that thing that labeled you that caused your life to go off course, here's what I know. Our God right now can write a course and take you in a direction that you have no idea. You have no right to claim it. I have no right to claim it. And yet, it's my inheritance. It's my inheritance. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what I'm offering to you right now. So we're going to take communion. And do you know that the Apostle Paul says, listen to this. If you have anything in your heart towards somebody else, don't take this till you deal with it. Because if you do... You're abusing what Jesus has done for you. That's big words right there. And if you really get what Jesus has done for you, then the opportunity, listen, I'm not asking you if you feel forgiveness. I'm asking you, have you been forgiven? Because Eli, if you've been forgiven, then that's your context to forgive right now. And if I could remind you, Do you know that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me? Do you know that he's talking about, remember the sacrifice that I'm I'm forgiving you right now. So remember that when you take this. Does it kind of all come together all of a sudden? So let's open up this top piece. And grab the wafer and then the foil to get to the grape juice. And so I'm going to be super bold here. And if you can, I know, I know maybe you can't, that's okay. But if you can, then just let me say the words. Father, because your body was broken for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. Because you didn't wait until we asked you, but you chose to lay down your life for us. Because this is how we know what love actually is. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. God, the context of everything good in our life comes from you. We know what love is. We know what mercy is. We know what living is. We know what abundant life is because of you. And so right now, Father... Whether I can muster up forgiveness and mean it or whether I'm just making a decision because I want to be obedient to you. Either one right now is an acceptable sacrifice to you. 
whether I feel it or whether I'm just trying to be obedient. Father, I remember and I bring it into myself right now. Let's eat it together. And then Jesus, after supper, lifted up the cup and said, this is now the new covenant in my blood which is spilled and given for you. Remember what's been done for you when you drink this. And so right now we remember, God, in reality, we're not entitled to anything. It's all because you're so good to us. You're good to us. Church, let's say it. You're good to us. That's why we enjoy this right now. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let's drink. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being good to us, for being kind to us, for being merciful to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, thanks for listening to me.